Welcome to the Connecting Mind and Spirit podcast, a podcast devoted to helping you understand and apply the teachings of A Course in Miracles. I am your host, Fiona Williams, author of the newly released book, Awakening Your Right Mind, Healing from Fear and Following Spirit with A Course in Miracles. The benefits of A Course in Miracles are experienced through application of its right-minded principles. Throughout this podcast series, I will explain specific topics and teachings from A Course in Miracles and guide you through meditative exercises, which will help you apply the teachings to your life. Thank you for being here, and let's get started. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the third book club meeting. It's so nice to see everyone's faces. It is important that we begin to expose the ego. I mean, that's what A Course in Miracles is all about. It's about exposing this part of the mind that we are using so we can begin to recognize it and then start to make a better decision. So that is really the heart of A Course in Miracles is to expose the ego's thought system and let us know of what the other option is. From the moment you notice a thought, You've latched onto it and now face the choice of watching it grow or letting it go. <laughs> That's your choice when you recognize you have a thought. You may notice your own ego stories are just constantly on repeat. Now, the ego, I've mentioned this before, the ego mind is a habit. And when we begin our spiritual path, it can be very easy for us to feel guilty for having ego thoughts. We can also kind of make ourselves feel bad for having an ego thought, especially if it's a judgment towards someone else. Like we can tend to think, yeah, we're nice people. And then we can have a really sharp judgment about someone else. And we're like, whoa, where did that come from? Like, I'm a nice person. And it can be really like we can offend ourselves with our own thoughts, right? Our own ego thoughts. And so what I think is important to recognize is that the ego is a habit. And as I've shared before in earlier meetings, as long as you have the ego intact in your mind, ego thoughts are going to creep in, right? And even sometimes they're just going to be loud <laughs> and abrasive and just, you know, scare you. But that is just something to simply recognize that if you can kind of give yourself a break and just go, look, while I have the ego intact in my mind, to some degree, these thoughts are going to creep in. And I have the choice of if I continue to believe in it, if I continue to feed it, that's my choice. So I think that's just a very powerful realization. And I even shared it in, I think, the last book club meeting where, or maybe it was the first one, but Jesus, you know, teaches us in the course that he was a man too, that he was dealing with these ego thoughts as well. And just the more he identified with being what he truly is, one in spirit, one in God, which is what we all are that the less he fed the ego mind. So even Jesus had ego thoughts creep in. He just stopped investing in them. He just stopped believing in them, right? So I just think that's important for us to recognize, especially before we go head first into uh, what the ego is all about. So just try and catch yourself if you're feeling guilty for ego thoughts. That's the ego sneaking in the back door again. And you don't need to feel guilty for having ego thoughts. Just simply recognize at this point, it's a habit. And like any habit, you can change it with time and commitment. 
So I also share in um, this kind of introductory section of the wrong mind about sticky thoughts. <laughs> and this is what my sisters and I like to call ego thoughts, um, you know, anxious thoughts, um, hurtful judgments that people have made about us, or maybe, you know, grudges, or you kind of keep rehashing an event with someone and you maybe think like how you could have like handled it better or maybe one upped them and put them in their place. But either way, you just find yourself repeating these ego thoughts in some manner. And that, those are what we call sticky thoughts, my sisters and I. So, you know, we'll even sometimes joke, oh, you know, my thoughts are a bit sticky today. And, you know, that can happen for various reasons. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep, maybe a hormonal fluctuation, uh, maybe you went through a rough go. You know, all of that can happen. And it is nice to kind of have a gentle awareness of maybe why your uh, ego thoughts are a little more sticky. Because personally, you know, I recognize, oh, maybe I'm a bit hormonal this week. So then I know. And then if I know, then I can be extra vigilant, right? So just having a gentle awareness of when your thoughts are getting a little more sticky. All right. So I also cover in this section about how in our world, thinking with the ego seems normal. And of course, we know that to be true. And so when we take on a thought system like A Course in Miracles, which I've already shared is complete reversal in how we think, that is what we're doing in the face of a world that believes that the ego is true. That how the ego functions is real and also that it's valid. And the number one way that the ego functions is through judgment. And when we even look at social media, I believe that social media has just put, you know, like a monocle just right over a magnifying glass over how the ego functions, because people are thriving off of constant judgment of others. Right. And so that is something that is holding the ego in place in your mind. If you continue your judgments and you continue to feel valid in making them and holding on to them. So also what judgment can do and what we also recognize in social media is um, when we work with the ego, sometimes we'll get that feeling of superiority, superiority or supremacy over someone where like, see, I put them in their place. See, like I was right and I'm going to tell them. And we all know what that feeling of wanting to be right is like, <laughs> but as we're so elegantly taught in the course, would you rather be right or be happy? <laughs> and I know it takes some time to get to that point. Okay. It's like, yeah, I'd really actually rather be happy, <laughs> but it takes some time to get there. But all that's really saying is, you know, do you really want to play the ego's game or would you rather just kind of back off and, um, you know, put your thoughts towards something else, put your mind towards something else and be happy. Is this really genuinely worth it? <laughs> so just something that we can have a gentle awareness about is how much we're judging and if we're enjoying it and if we're trying to one-up other people and feel superior to them in some manner. And this can creep in in any way for all of us, you know, whether we're just having an argument with a family member or whether it is straight up you know, in an ACIM group or, you know, at work or whatever it might be, just recognizing that that ego charge that you sometimes get when you make ego judgments, um, are you kind of addicted to that? Is it something that makes you feel, you know, superior to others? Because that is one major way that the ego is going to 
suck you in to go see you're right. And what I love to remember is the teaching from the course that perception is a mirror, not a fact. And all of our perceptions, right? We're making our judgments from those perceptions, but those are just the mirrors of how we think, of what we think is right. And so is that a valid basis for an argument? <laughs> Not really, right? So even we're taught in Gary Renard's work um, by Art and Persa is that you don't need to be an advocate for arguing. You don't need to do that. You don't have to participate in that. You can start to let these ways that the ego functions in your life, you can start to let them go. So I just kind of wanted to start that section with a, a kind of general um, awareness of how the ego functions in our lives. And later in the chapter, I get into the ego's agenda, which um, describes more about how the ego shows up in our daily experience. And then we can get into how we can move past that. Um, but I did want to talk about um, how the ego mind, why it seems so normal for us right? Like, why are we so attracted to it? Why do we even use it? Why have we been using it for eons? Why are we so committed to it? And so I share that thinking with the ego mind seems normal because of two unconscious assumptions. First, you made the ego, and so you are loyal to what you made. Second, you believe you actually are the ego. You think it's what you are. And so in previous book club meetings, I've talked about how we're just really aware of that tip of the iceberg in our thinking. And that part of the iceberg predominantly believes it is the ego, right? It's deep in your unconscious mind that, yeah, the ego's there, but also deep in your unconscious mind is the truth that you are one in your source. So in our top tip level of the iceberg experience, we think we are the ego. We think this is all we are. And that's why some of the what we're taught in A Course in Miracles can be so hard for us to accept is because we simply don't believe we're something else, that we're something good, that we're something innocent, that we're pure. Because we've identified with what I've also shared is this tiny little part of our minds that thinks it is all on its own. We're identifying with just that minuscule part of your mind. It's infinitesimal. Okay, so just something to keep in mind that you are loyal to the ego because you made it and you think you are it. And so we can recognize in the course so much of how the course lessons and the text are it's trying to make us aware that you are something else that we are something else we're the christ mind we're the collective sonship or oneness okay so it is important to go okay well this might be why i don't believe what the course is telling me this might be why i don't believe i'm good because i literally just had a you know, a judgment about someone else where I attacked them. So how, what do you mean I'm good? What do you mean I'm innocent? It can be really hard for us to believe. So what I think is important to recognize is that you have to let yourself get there. You can just start to say to yourself, I'm open. I'm open to being aware that I am possibly more. I may not fully believe that at this present moment, but I can be open to it. 
And I think if we're all on the ACIM path, we are a little bit open to that. <laughs> We've had enough of thinking with the ego. So we're like, okay, maybe there's something fresh and new here. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> right? So it's nice to have that gentle awareness that you are so much more than this tiny part of your mind that is just playing out conflict. Okay? And that massive part of your mind that knows it's one in your source, that's going to win out. That's the truth. We're taught in A Course in Miracles that the ego is vulnerable. And that's pretty powerful to hear. The ego is actually what's vulnerable. The ego is so loud because it's afraid. It's afraid of your decision to choose against it. So when you recognize your thoughts are super sticky or that the ego is super loud today, or as some people say, oh, my ego is working hard today, you know, just recognize that the ego is trying to get your attention. It's being loud because it is vulnerable. It knows you're going to choose against it at some point and it's going to dissolve. So when you recognize your mind's super chatty, just try and see if you can keep that in mind, <laughs> that it's just trying to survive, but it doesn't need to. Okay. <laughs> How's this all sounding for everyone? <laughs> Thumbs up, claps, awesome, good, good. <laughs> Thank God, right? <laughs> good. So when we recognize how normal it is for us to face the ego and go, okay, this is what I'm up against when I work with the world, right? Then it's helpful to kind of start to undo our investment in it and how that is done is by recognizing that what we're taught in the course, the key to salvation is but this. I am doing this unto myself. I'm the decision maker. I'm the gatekeeper. I'm allowing this to continue. Right? So it's it's no different than if you recognize you're in a toxic relationship. After some point, you're like, I'm the one who allowed this to continue. In some manner, I've enabled this. And that's what we're doing to ourselves is we are allowing a toxic relationship with our own heads to occur and to keep going. And as we're beautifully taught in the course, that need not be. It doesn't have to continue to be that way, right? So as the decision maker, you are able to put your foot down and go, I have no use for this. Enough is enough. Now, you may not always feel that passionate about it, but I'm sure there are some times where you're like, enough of this. Absolutely enough. What am I allowing to just cycle through in my own head? What am I allowing? Right. And so, as I share in that chapter of the course, and I shared in an earlier book club meeting, right, it was a particularly powerful bout of anxiety in my early 20s where I surprisingly, Holy Spirit gave me the gift of the realization that I was doing it to myself. And I was singing that Radiohead song, Just, where you do it to yourself, you do, and that's what really hurts. And I was really, really ready to take responsibility for my own mindset. And from there, that's when my mom gave me a copy of The Disappearance of the Universe. And from there, then I did the course, and it just resonated with me. And then from there, I was able to share it with other people and be helpful and connect with like-minded people. And I genuinely got on the right-minded path because I had recognized that I was doing it to myself. 
And that was an invitation to just go, I am ready to do this differently then. I am done attacking myself and my own mindset. I am done allowing all of this. I deserve better. And we all deserve better. We are the innocent, loving child of source. We all are worthy of so much more. And again, that might be an unbelievable statement for you at this point. But what I, again, like to say is just be open because it is inevitable that at one point you are going to accept that, that you are worthy of so much more. You are worthy of the literal peace of God because that's what created you. And as I shared in the previous book club meeting, who are we to argue with that? <laughs> who am I to argue with how God created me? <laughs> that's not that's not up for debate. It's just not up for debate. We can think we're something else. We can dream about it. <laughs> but we're not going to change the truth. It's just wonderfully inevitable that we fall back into our oneness and our awareness of that. So that feels good, right? <laughs> so I think that's important to recognize before we go head first into the ego's thought system. And one of the other things I share in this part is I say, personally, I like to refer to the ego as misthought. Okay, so it's not some snarling beast coming at us from the depths of a fiery chasm, nor is it untamable. Okay, so we, you know, previous years before this, and probably to some degree today, there are lots of people who would blame everything on the devil. They created this snarling beast <laughs> that is just ready to punish us. And because it's a complete, well, probably an unawareness that they were doing it to themselves, but there is no devil. There is no devil. It's just our own belief in the ego that lets this stuff keep going and let this stuff repeat. That's what's actually happening. So it's easier to not project our own unconscious guilt, our own stuff, our own reasons for our psyche. It's best not to project that on something like the devil or something else like that, some other force that's against us because there's nothing against us. Nothing out there is against us, but our own belief in the ego. And I know that can be hard to believe to some extent, but at some point we are going to fully realize that. And it's helpful to let ourselves get there, that we are the ones who are doing this. There's nothing else out there that's attacking us. It's a projection. And I love that because if it's a projection, then I'm going to turn within. Okay, I'm going to kind of turn the camera on myself and go back within. And I'm going to connect with the Holy Spirit, who's the ultimate correction. Right? And then I'll start to perceive more lovingly. I'll start to see things through the eyes of love that people who appear hateful and mean are calls for love. And I can also recognize that at times I'm a call for love. And I'm going to start answering my own call for love with love. I mean, how beautiful is that? That's self-love. That's self-love. So a true gift. So as I share in that paragraph, you'll be doing yourself a favor to stop being afraid of this part of your mind. Instead, regarding it neutrally. Like a storm cloud passing over, the ego won't last. If you stop feeding the ego with your belief in it, 
its thoughts, its thoughts will pass by more quickly. Okay, so later in this chapter, I discuss about how we reinforce ego thoughts without even knowing it, <laughs> right? But it is important for us to look at the ego in a more neutral perspective. It's not being done to us. It's being done by us. We are in the power position. And that is what Jesus is sharing with us over and over and over in A Course in Miracles is that we are in the power position. That decision maker role is your power in this world, in this dream. Okay, so that's very, very important for us to recognize. And when I start to recognize that the ego, although those thoughts can seem very powerful and our physical reactions to those thoughts can also be really strong. Those physical reactions are like the evidence, right? <laughs> that the fear must be real, but it's not. If you can start to see your reactions as effects, as opposed to evidence, that would be very helpful. It kind of helps you detach a bit from the reaction and just go, well, of course I had that effect. I had a panic attack <laughs> Look, you know, because I had a fear-based thought. You know, if you can just start to recognize it in that way, that that's cause and effect. Yeah. So is that helpful? <laughs> Good thumbs up. Okay, awesome. Thumbs up all around. So when we have those ego moments, it's just a storm cloud passing over let it pass, right? This too shall pass. And how does it pass? I stop feeding it. I stop judging it as if it was true. I stop judging the reactions, the effects, and I let it pass. But I talk a little bit more about that when I go through the cycle of fear. Okay. So now the big one, <laughs> how did the ego come to be? <laughs> and of course, we're all probably pretty familiar with this as ACIM students, but um, I do like to um, share the Eckhart Tolle quote um, that I put on page 18 of the book, um, because I think Eckhart described it really, really well. And um, Eckhart describes the separation as humans have been in the grip of pain for eons. Ever since they fell from the state of grace, entered the realm of time and ego mind, and lost awareness of being. At that point, they started to perceive themselves as meaningless fragment, fragments in an alien universe, unconnected to the source and to each other. And that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? We feel totally disconnected in an alien universe. And even in the course, Jesus describes it that way, that you are an alien here, but that somewhere in your mind, you know that is true. Somewhere in your mind, you know you don't belong here. Because does it ever feel perfectly right? Yeah, exactly. So... Within the natural state of oneness, a part of your mind seemed to fall into a state of separateness. In this instant, two things happened. The part of your mind that believes it's separated from its source fell asleep. It is now experiencing a vivid and continuous dream where all things appear disconnected. And two, the tiny mad idea of the separate ego projected the entire physical effect of the universe. So just boom, out, big bang, massive projection. 
And that's what we're looking at. And when we look at this universe, things are separate and separating all the way down to little tiny cells, dividing, dividing everywhere again, everywhere that we look in this physical universe, separation appears to be true. We see the face of the ego. And I like to highlight that in many of the course lessons, we're invited to close our eyes. And that is to turn our attention inside, within, because we don't want to rely on our physical sight to tell us what is true. We want the Holy Spirit's true perception, which is within our minds. We want that to tell us how we should perceive. And that can really be well accomplished by closing our eyes to the world and going within. Which is a really, you know, beautiful thing to highlight from many of the course lessons. And uh, it is an excellent um, right-mindedness technique. (laughs) Just close your eyes from the world for just a bit. Right? So the ego came to be simply from that idea that maybe I could create on my own. Maybe I could do this all on my own and usurp God's creative power. And in doing so, we miscreate instead of create from a place of love. And miscreation is an aspect of the ego. It's what the ego does. It makes, whereas love creates. And so just having an awareness of, are we miscreating or are we creating? So is everyone kind of clear on the separation, how it came to be? If there's any questions there or anything you'd like me to elaborate on, I'd be happy to do so. No, we're all good. All right. (laughs) Awesome. And following from that, when the separation appeared to occur, level of consciousness came in. And so we're taught in the course that consciousness, the level of perception, was the first split introduced into the mind after the separation. Making the mind a perceiver rather than a creator. Consciousness is correctly identified as the domain of the ego. And so it is pretty popular in current spirituality to glorify consciousness, right? Consciousness is what you are experiencing, but it's not what you are. Okay, so when we look at consciousness, in consciousness, there must always be two, a division. And that comes from the separation where things, oneness became two-ness. And when you have two-ness, that's where comparison comes in. Comparison is the seed of conflict for the mind. And comparison can only occur beginning with two. Okay, so that's how the ego begins its conflict, that there must be something else I must perceive, that there must be something else I must compare myself to. And that is how conflict is initiated in the mind. Okay, so I hope that's clear. I can probably create a diagram and and, and send it out. But if anyone has any questions on that, I'd be very happy to answer them or elaborate on that. But I I hope it makes sense. So consciousness is not what we are, but what we are experiencing. It is subject to degrees and levels and a multitude of emotions. 
consciousness is where duality comes into play, right? So that's an excellent way of putting two-ness is duality. There's black and white, good and bad, salty, sweet, <laughs> dry, wet, you know, duality. And that is what the realm of consciousness is all about. But that's not oneness. That's not what we truly are. So in the split mind experience, we're dealing with consciousness, but we will inevitably rise above it completely to the state of oneness. Okay. So consciousness is where duality comes into play from out of oneness arises twoness and disconnection. It is possible to progress or rise up in levels of consciousness but it is still not what we truly are. So it's like a tool that we're working with, right? Like anything else in this physical universe, it can be used as a tool with the Holy Spirit to help us get above, ultimately, back to our state of oneness with our beloved source. Okay, so I hope I hope that's helpful. <laughs> and so one thing I wanted to ask you guys, and if anyone wants to share, have you ever felt homesick while you've been here? Yeah, head nods for sure, right? <laughs> I I used to think about this when I was a little girl. And, you know, I would think, like, I'm next to my mom, and my mom loves me. But why do I still feel homesick? Like something really felt off. And I remember it feeling almost like a sick feeling in my stomach, like a pit in my stomach, something really felt off. And I could never grasp that, that even in my own loving home, I felt homesick. And I think children can definitely have those experiences, um, you know, because you're kind of closer to what you used to be, that kind of state of um, formlessness. Um, before you entered a body, you might have those kind of like general awarenesses of like, yeah, something is askew here. This this might not be totally right. And I also remember when I was a little girl, I used to lay in bed and I had this little game that I would play with myself. And I was actually just to scare myself. <laughs> and I would think, I would close my eyes and I would think, what if there was just darkness? What if I'm not real? And then I'm like, well, if I'm not real and this world isn't real and my siblings aren't real and my teddy bears aren't real, then there's just darkness. And then I took it one step further and I said, but then if I'm nothing and there's just darkness, then there's not even darkness. And there was just a void and that void would come into my awareness and it would scare them. Out of me. And for some reason, I would just do this to myself every now and then. <laughs> and I actually talked to my older sisters who are, two of them are twins, and they actually both admitted to being doing the same thing when they were younger, just having that awareness that what if there was nothing? And I think that is just that kind of um, awareness within us that maybe this isn't quite right. <laughs> the ego world isn't quite right. Um, yeah. And if anyone has any insights or, you know, had a similar experience and you want to email me about it and, and whatever, I would love to know if someone also had like a similar type of um, awareness or experience. <laughs> but yeah, so I think there's a part of our minds that definitely, definitely knows on some level that this is not what we truly are. Okay. So now let's get into how the ego is sustained. So I share that not only has your belief, this is on page 20 for anyone following around, 
Um, not only has your belief in the tiny mad idea convinced you that you're apart from your source, it has also told you that you are alone, vulnerable, and worst of all, guilty. It is the immense guilt over believing that you walked away from your source, which keeps you chained to the ego. Deep down, you feel that your source is livid with you for walking away from it. And so the ego, even with all its complexity and all of its chaos, still feels safer to you than facing the supposed wrath of God. This insane idea that your source wants to punish you is the root of all of your fears. Okay. So deep down, when we feel fear, no matter how it presents itself, no matter what situation brings it about, the core idea of fear is that I believe I'm going to be punished by my source for supposedly walking away from our source. And so we can think of guilt and fear as just moving together. They are just totally correlated, right? Because if you feel guilty for thinking you left your source, then you're equally going to think that your source is upset with you and going to punish you. Okay, so if we want to lessen the amount of fear in our minds, then we need to start tending to that guilt and start to begin to undo that guilt, which is done through application of the atonement, which is the heart of right-mindedness. So when you are afraid, just it is helpful, you know, not saying like every situation you're able to bring this to your awareness right away. But in some cases, especially if you're just a, like, a bit anxious, maybe you could recognize this is actually just me thinking that my source is going to punish me over something that never happened. Okay. The separation never actually occurred. I have nothing to be afraid of. And when you kind of hit fear at that source, at its source, of reminding yourself you never left your source, you'd be amazed how quickly it starts to dissipate. When you remind yourself of your innocence, the fear starts to dissolve. So when we are feeling any sort of suffering, psychological suffering, or maybe even physical pain, um, which is still pain, is still in the mind, I find it very helpful to just lay down and remind myself that I'm innocent. And I just envision that innocence just flooding this body, surrounding me. And after a while, a few minutes, sometimes quicker, I start to feel much better. Because I'm hitting the fear, I'm hitting the discomfort, I'm hitting the pain, the suffering at its source. Okay, I'm reminding myself that the guilt is unfounded. It's not true. So it's very, very powerful to start to remind yourself of your innocence. Again, closing your eyes to the physical world and going within and going, I am innocent and flooding your body and surrounding it and your mind, asking the Holy Spirit to please remind me of my innocence. I, Because what I love to say to myself is that the Holy Spirit knows me as innocent. My source knows me as innocent. So if the Holy Spirit, which is the voice for God, and my source, God, knows I'm innocent, then again, who am I to argue? Again, I can dream that I'm something else. I can pretend I'm something else. But I can also remind myself of what is true instead. So if my source knows me as innocent, again, who am I to argue?
I'll take that instead. <laughs> so you'd be amazed if you start to practice those ideas of innocence and truth and start to replace um, feeding the ego, that habit of feeding the ego. If you start to replace it with silence and innocence, I reckon you're probably going to feel a bit better to some degree and more frequently as well as it starts to become your more right-minded habit instead of feeding the ego, which would be a wrong-minded habit. Okay, so aside from that right-minded tip, <laughs> I share from the course, guilt remains the only thing that hides the father, for guilt is the attack upon his son. The guilty always condemn, and having done so, they will condemn, linking the future to the past, as is the ego's law. So, you know, a lot of this book is about the laws of the mind. <laughs> so I thought I would include in there the ego's law. The ego wants your future to look like your past. Because essentially, you can just think of the ego as just cycling over and over the cycle of fear. So, of course, if you're just going to keep cycling through those scripts of fear, those habits that you're used to, of course, your future is going to look a lot like your past. <laughs> it might include different people, but the content will be the same. The ego content will be the same, right? And so that's something to really recognize of going, if I don't stop and correct this now, I'm literally projecting it into my future. And I have not learned the lesson, which the lesson is always just to apply true forgiveness and replace it with the truth, that's learning the lesson. <laughs> and if you don't stop and do that, and, and this is not a threat, this is just how it works, is that that lesson has remained unlearned, and it's going to carry forth until you learn it in some degree, and to some degree, in some manner. It's, it's going to show up in some way, uh, again, not to scare you, but just something to be aware of that when you put the Holy and Spirit in charge of your day, when you ask for help, when you take on something like the course, the things that come into your experience, those are not by chance, right? Just as we're also taught in the course that people we meet, anyone we meet, even if it's just a brief encounter in the grocery store, that's not by chance. That's the potential for a holy relationship. So the experiences that come up, that's your opportunity to forgive. That's showing up to go, hey, are you ready to forgive me? Okay, because you need to start to see me as neutral. <laughs> right? So I like, and many people have heard me describe it this way before, that you can kind of ex like have your um, psyche as a radar and your reactions are blips on the radar. So what's what seems to be causing a blip on your radar? What seems to be throwing you off? What are you triggered by? Okay, what seems to keep coming up? <laughs> Those are your red flags to heal. Those are your red flags of forgiveness. Please forgive me. I'm ready to just become neutral. And when it becomes neutral to you, do application of true forgiveness because it's healed. Your mind has healed of it. Then you no longer have that blip on your radar. You no longer feel triggered. You actually are just like, I'm actually totally at peace about this. <laughs> and of course, we can start with the seemingly smaller things in life. Um, and, and sometimes you might feel confident enough to try it on something bigger that appears to occur, but either way, 
If something causes a blip on your radar, if you're finding yourself triggered or reacting, that is your red flag that you've got something to correct there. Okay. And it's showing up on purpose. So you don't have to waste it. Again, not something to feel guilty if you didn't have the awareness to truly forgive it at the time. But if it comes back into your awareness, like, you know, maybe I was a bit curt with that person or, you know, what they said really threw me off. And ugh. maybe then when you replay it and you remember it, maybe that's your time that you can apply true forgiveness. You know, so always kind of give yourself the opportunity. And then through doing so, you free your future, which is such a beautiful gift to yourself and your loved ones, is to free yourself of the ego content, free your future of it, because you're just genuinely going to feel less reactive and you're just going to feel better. And that's really beautiful. And it's what, again, you are worthy of, the literal peace of God, which is what we're genuinely working towards. So does anyone have any thoughts or ideas about that? <laughs> no, just good stuff. Some <laughs> more thumbs up. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So how is the ego sustained? So I cover several ways that the ego is sustained. First of all, our belief, then it goes into judgment, projection, and then repetition. So I've talked about this a lot already that the ego is sustained in your mind by your belief in it. So remember that you made the ego. And so if you think that it's, so you think that it's real. And the course also, like we're reminded in the course that we are way too preoccupied with listening to the ego's voice. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like a nice gentle smack upside the head <laughs> that you are way too preoccupied with listening to the ego. And, you know, and all of us are to some extent way too preoccupied with listening to it. Okay. So again, that is because we believe in it. We think that's what we are. So we entertain it and we're like, okay, yeah, I'll entertain this thought. Why not? It's what I think I am. It's all that I think that I am, which can be quite unfortunate. So we take everything that the ego says seriously. And that's simply because we believe it. And this keeps your mind focused upon the details of this physical world so that you accept its seeming reality and believe that there is nothing else for you to strive towards. Okay, so again, if you're just so involved in this world and seeing it as true, that's just coming from your belief in the ego. Now, as ACIM students, we're starting to question the ego, right? Which is a, a wonderful thing to do. Like, you know, is this actually true? Is this worthy of my continued judgment? <laughs> but, you know, I think not through, you know, um, you know, trying to compare or anything like that, but I think we can all kind of recognize some people who are maybe, you know, just really in this world. And, and they're happy with it, you know, to some extent, they're like, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> you know, they're comfortable in it to some extent. And they, and I guess what I could just gently say is they're not questioning. They're, they're just in it and they're doing their thing and, and that's it. But there are the others who, like us, we're, it's our turn <laughs> and we're beginning to question things. And that's good because your mind is so powerful. And your belief is equally powerful. You know, as I shared in the first book club meeting, if someone insults you, it wouldn't bother you unless you believed it, right, to some extent. So what are we believing in? Because that's the only reason why it seems true to us, okay, is because of our mind's incredible power of belief. And as I like to say, your belief 
is the breath of life for your thoughts. Okay, so when I was speaking earlier about the ego being a storm cloud that passes by, it's your belief in that storm cloud that gives it life to you, that makes it real to you. So just something to be gently aware of is your belief is the breath of life for your thoughts. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, good, good. Head nonsense. <laughs> Although fueled by guilt, get this, the ego is keen on keeping you unaware of that so you won't seek to heal it. Simply by not looking at your guilt, you sustain the ego in your mind. So how does the ego do that? Well, it projects. Someone else must be the problem. That circumstance must be the problem. It's not me. I'm innocent. Like if I look at my role in this, I am crystal clear, <laughs> right? And so that's the victim role, <laughs> right? Where things are being done to me. I, I can't I can't be guilty. No, 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 no. Consciously, this is what the ego is trying to do. That tip of the iceberg go, no, 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 no. You, you, you know, we're, we're going to try and hide, hide this guilt, right? <laughs> because then you won't seek to correct it, you know? So sometimes, of course, we feel our guilt and pre feel it pretty heavy, but that's more of an unconscious uprising. <laughs> but to some degree, the ego wants to keep you just kind of blind to everything, right? And, and again, because it's afraid of you and it can't afford to have you turn your powerful decision-making mind upon it. <laughs> So to keep you unaware of your unconscious guilt, the ego frames your guilt in a multitude of different pictures. That way that you're never aware that guilt over the tiny mad idea is your real issue. For example, if you stub your toe and feel pain, the pain you feel is actually rooted in your mind's guilt, not your toe. If someone cuts you off in traffic and you flip them off, you've retaliated because of your guilt. And in a more extreme case, someone who murders does it because of the guilt in their mind. We don't usually recognize guilt in such situations, and that's just how the ego likes it. If you don't recognize your pain, anger, and vengeance as rooted in unconscious guilt, the guilt remains safely hidden in your mind. So the ego is going to be like, look over here, look over here, look over here, right? I always like to say that it's like a matador to a bull right? Can you just look over here? Look over here. Look over here. Don't look at me. <laughs> don't, don't go within. <laughs> okay. So just recognizing what the ego is up to and, and through doing so you believe, right? You just believe in the ego and carry on. And so the second way that ego sustained, we've already talked a bit about this is through judgment. And the ego always lurks in the background of your awareness. The ego's go-to strategy for every situation is judgment. Whenever you make a judgment, your perception of duality is reinforced. That's because a judgment of good or bad always harbors its polar opposite. Okay, so for example, let's say you are nominated for an award. You could easily make the judgment that receiving the award would be good, but that would also mean that not receiving the award is bad. And now you have conflict in your mind and you have both possibilities in your mind and you're not at peace. Okay, so just kind of recognizing how sneaky judgment can be, even over the simplest things, right? I mean, you're allowed to make judgment of what am I going to wear, or that's my favorite color, or I'm going to have a cup of coffee, that's totally fine. But you really want to become aware of if your continued judgment 
is keeping you locked in a really unhealthy mindset? Are you finding yourself continuously judging a neighbor or something your sibling did or your child did or whatever, or the government did or whatever, you know, like there's multiple ways that you can use your own judgment against yourself, right? But as we're lovingly taught in Gary Renard's work, and I shared this in the first book club meeting, that every judgment we make is seen at the level of our unconscious mind as being a judgment about ourselves. So how can we ever have genuine inner peace if we're holding on to and perpetuating our negative judgments about ourselves, other people, corporations, the world in general? How can we ever expect to have inner peace if we're harboring those thoughts, those judgments, and continuously doing so? So there's great beauty in being able to walk down the street, even for a block, and not judge to just let everything be as it is, and you are just perfectly at peace. There's great beauty in that. <laughs> and of course, with practice, we will inevitably get to that blissful state. <laughs> okay. And the third way that we keep the ego going is through projection, of course. So projection itself accomplishes three things for the ego. First, it keeps you looking outside of yourself. So you don't find the truth of who, who you truly are within your own mind. So I've already talked a bit about this, right? Like, can you please just keep looking outside of me? <laughs> and then I'll just see the world. And then I won't go within. Because what's actually we're taught in the course is that when we look within, what we're ultimately going to find is that we're innocent. That's what Jesus teaches us in the course, is that our innocence is in there. And the ego, of course, can't have that because... It, it's guilt. <laughs> the ego is just another name for guilt. So again, if we recognize our innocence, the ego dissolves. So that's very threatening for the ego for us to turn within. So it has to keep us distracted by looking outside, keeping us focused on projection. Second, projection for the ego convinces you that everyone and everything around you are indeed separate from you. Therefore, separation must be true. So again, there's the evidence, right, in quotations, the evidence that this world of separation, separation must be true. I mean, you know, I'm not one with that dog. I'm not one with that neighbor, you know, and, and that's just something to be keenly aware of is that the level of form always looks separate, but what we truly are is formless. We're formless mind, spirit working together. And formlessness is perfectly connected. The mind is perfectly one. So you don't want to look to the outside world to tell you, to teach you of your oneness necessarily, right? You want to recognize that formlessness. The mind is formless, spirit is formless, and that is how it is one. It's just appearing as separate and separate bodies right now as we're in the split mind experience. And third, finally, projection keeps you in conflict because it is through projection that you blame other people or your general circumstances for your mental pain. And I take a quote from the course, projection means anger, anger fosters assault, and assault promotes fear. So it's just a cycle, just a cycle, all beginning with projection. Okay, and as long as we blame others, as long as we blame circumstances, 
we're never going to accept that key to salvation, that I am doing this unto myself, right? So I know we all have our experiences where it appears totally opposite and it appears that we are victims. And I, and I totally respect that. But at some point we gain the awareness that as the decision maker, we get to choose about what we're going to continue to tolerate, what we're going to continue to allow. We're going to be the gatekeepers now. Okay, are we going to remain a victim or are we going to use the experience for true forgiveness as it was meant to be and start to move forward? Right. And that's always our choice. And yeah, sometimes it'll take us some time to get there. And that's totally fine. It's not a competition. But just letting yourself have your experiences and growing in them and allowing the Holy Spirit in will get you to that point where you will really, really start to recognize that you are the decision maker, that you no longer want to maintain the victim role, that you are genuinely ready to accept who you truly are. And that will happen for each of us in our through our own time, but it will happen sooner the more you invite the Holy Spirit in. Even when you feel really, really down, it's, as I like to say, you can just leave the door for the Holy Spirit ajar. <laughs> just like, okay, I'm just going to just kind of unlock the door and leave it open just a little bit. You can come on in if you want. I'm feeling like crap, but whatever. You can come in if you want. <laughs> like, even if you can just manage that, that's totally fine. <laughs> All right. And then the last way that we sustain the ego is through repetition. Okay. So through the ego mind, we strengthen our association with this physical world and all the dramas that come with it. We analyze our issues, dissect our anxieties, and tell pain stories of the past and construct fantasies about the future to tell ourselves and anyone else who will listen. We'll look at more ways in which we repeat ego thoughts in the section on the law of the mind. So when we go into the law of the mind, I'm really going to get into how we repeat fear thoughts. But, you know, I can recognize that over my years of teaching A Course in Miracles, people have seemed really overwhelmed by the magnitude of the ego. Is that true for anyone here? <laughs> that that yeah, it really seems to be all encompassing, doesn't it? Okay, so um, here's the quote that I've already kind of alluded to several times throughout the book club. But I want you to remember this: this fragment of your mind is such a tiny part of it that could you but appreciate the whole, you would see instantly that it is like the smallest sunbeam to the sun or like the faintest ripple on the surface of the ocean. Okay. So again, just alluding to the fact that the ego is just a tiny wee part. <laughs> That's on page 24 for anyone following along. So recognize that whenever you choose to respond to the ego seriously, which again, not something to feel guilty about, just something to be aware of, that when you are doing that, you are actually choosing to replay the moment of the separation. You are choosing to be separate from others and a deeper level, you are choosing to separate from your source. In the course, it is written that every time we choose conflict or fear in any form, we replay the tiny mad idea. By choosing the ego, we are saying that our ego's will is more important to us than our source's loving will. Okay? We're putting our agenda, our ego agenda above source's will. And we delude ourselves with the notion that the ego is stronger than, the, than our source, which is just not true. 
This judgment will always cause some discomfort because you are choosing to go against the grain of your true identity. Okay, And if you can see it that way, that when you start to recognize that you're feeding the ego and, you, you know, that is just going to increase your discomfort. That's, again, cause and effect. But yet you're genuinely going against the grain of who you genuinely are, of who you truly are. And of course, that's always going to feel a little off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So it's uh, five o'clock almost. So just before we um, finish up for this book club, because we're not going to finish chapter one in this meeting, <laughs> we're going to have to continue next. But I just wanted to finish off with the next subsection, which is why don't I trust myself? And I talked about this in the last book club meeting. When you associate with the ego mind, you're going to have a hard time trusting yourself. Your belief that you are successful in carrying out the tiny mad idea of separation is the source of your distrust in yourself and the main factor in diminishing the power of your mind. This is why you diminish the power of your mind is because you don't trust yourself. You don't like that you're powerful because you don't trust yourself. The pain and the guilt over the tiny mad idea is so intense that you don't want to face it. And so you pretend that your mind isn't powerful. In daily life, the distrust in yourself can show up in a variety of ways. You may be afraid of saying something wrong at a party or feel it, fear you'll make a mistake in a professional project or expect to sabotage a romantic relationship. You may even be anxious that anxieties like these have crept into your mind. It is because you identify with the ego that you believe such thoughts and you are left terrified. And we can also just project that distrust onto other people, right? And, and just glorify that other people are somehow worse than we are, like a criminal, right? So so easy to someone, judge someone who made a criminal mistake and go, yeah, project it onto them and go, yeah, see, I, I'm all innocent. That person's worse than me, right? This is kind of ways that we kind of cloud our distrust over ourselves by just go, see, I would never do what that person did. Like, whew, <laughs> I'm all clear. But again, you haven't corrected the source of the distrust in your own mind by projecting that onto someone else. Okay, you've just continued to be afraid of yourself. Okay, so I like to share one of my favorite quotes from the course that is I share on page 25. Few appreciate the real power of the mind, and no one remains fully aware of it all the time. However, if you are to spare yourself from fear, there are some things you must realize and realize fully. The mind is very powerful and never loses its creative force. It never sleeps. Every instant it is creating. It is hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. It appears at first glance that to believe such power about yourself is arrogant, but that is not the real reason you do not believe it. You prefer to believe that your thoughts cannot exert real influence because you are actually afraid of them. This may allay awareness of guilt, but at the cost of perceiving the mind as impotent. If you believe that what you think is ineffectual, you may cease to be afraid of it but you are hardly likely to respect it. And that's from chapter two of the course. So just some 
really hot topics in the, that part of the, of the course, right? Of course, that the mind is powerful, but what the cost is to ourselves if we continue to diminish the power of the mind, if we continue to project onto other people and just stop taking responsibility for our own mindset and our own psyche, we may disrespect the power of the mind. And at that point, then we're just going to continue to use our own minds against ourselves. We're just going to continue that process. Okay. And that, what is that going to do? That's going to keep us locked in the cycle of fear. Okay. So it is, as Jesus says, in order to get out of fear successfully, you must start to appreciate the genuine power of your thoughts combined with your belief. You are powerful, but you are also love and you are also innocent. So, you know, if you're afraid of the power of your mind, you know, we can all come to feel that. I know I've felt that before. What I immediately do when I feel that discomfort is I put the Holy Spirit right in charge to just go, here's that fear over the power of my mind. Holy Spirit, you take over. You're at the forefront of my mind. I choose you. Okay, because my higher self is perfectly capable <laughs> of handling the power of the mind. <laughs> so another wonderful reason to put the Holy Spirit in charge of your thoughts and your actions throughout the day, right? Another great reason to invite the Holy Spirit in when you're not feeling too well, or you're just feeling afraid or sad or depressed or anxious or whatever it might be, or bored or melancholy, just allowing the Holy Spirit to come on in and just say, you are in charge. My mind is powerful and I'm not going to diminish it anymore. I'm not going to try and deny that anymore. Instead, I'm going to stop being afraid because the only reason I was afraid is I tried to do it with little old Fiona all by myself. So no wonder I was afraid. <laughs> okay. Cause I don't trust myself. <laughs> so I'm going to invite you, Holy Spirit, my higher self, you're coming in. I give you the invitation. You come to the forefront of my mind. And you might find that might help diminish the experience of fear for you, right? Because again, you're not going to get anywhere to continue diminishing the power of your mind. So if we can simply recognize it and put the Holy Spirit in charge, that's that's an excellent way to go. <laughs> okay, so we've reached uh, just past the hour. I'm just going to conclude there. So if anyone has any questions, you can email me, Fiona, fionamaria.ca, and anything you want me to elaborate on, you know I'm here, and I really look forward to seeing you next Sunday. <laughs>